Good morning. It is good to see you this morning, seeing some folks haven't seen for a while. We're so glad you're here. For those of you watching at home, whether it's in the morning, whether you're catching us later in the day, uh, we are so glad that you're joining us in worship and know that we are praying for you. We love you. We appreciate you praying for us and continuing to journey with us in this. Uh, Eddie Creighton, I don't see him back there at the moment, uh, but I am very appreciative. I'll, I'll catch him afterward. He was in the back. There's Eddie coming in. Eddie, thank you for your sweet song. I appreciate you singing that. I was very much moved by that. So uh, thank you for that. Levi, it's good to have you again. If you have your Bibles open to Exodus 34, we are continuing in a study in which we're exploring some of the characteristics of God from this passage that is quoted more than any other passage in Scripture in other parts of Scripture, quoted, uh, referenced, rephrased, and so we continue in that this morning. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, maintaining steadfast love to thousands or the thousandth generation, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So we come this morning to the third attribute of God, characteristic of God identified here, which is that God is slow to anger. But when I got to this one, my mind went in all kinds of directions because I know that for a lot of people in this room and historically, the characteristic of God that has been disproportionate to some others is identifying God as an angry God. In fact, they not only lose sight of the other attributes that show up in this list, compassionate, gracious, steadfast love, faithfulness, but they actually lop off the first part of that description, the slow to part of the angry God description. They take what is a positive and they make this a dominant attribute and a negative. And it's not like we need any help seeing the negative potential that comes with anger. So several times over the last several years, I have seen a sign, and maybe you have seen this sign too. And I've seen it in yards, and I've seen it uh, on the news with protests, and I've seen it on bumper stickers, and it's a sign that reads, if you aren't angry, you aren't paying attention. Have you seen some variation of this sign before? Some of you shaking your heads, no. Some of you, yes. I, I've seen this sign, and there have been times when I've seen it, and my thought is, that's absolutely right. I, I am angry, and and I should be angry. When I look around, when you look around, and you see everything that's happening in our world, or our nation, or our community, or you just look in your own life, and you say, there are things that are worthwhile getting angry about. And it would help if we were angry. There are times when anger is justifiable. But then when we reflect, when we step back, when we think about it, we also realize that, well, our anger 
it is not always proportional to the things going on. There's a lot of anger and a lot of high anger, and yet some of the things that we're angry about, I don't know if it's always you know, worthwhile, if it always merits our anger. So at least three times over this last week, I was at a red light behind someone for whom when the light turned green, they didn't move. They just sat there, head down for a long time until people behind them started to do what? Or, so there is the honk that, hey, just letting you know the light turned green, and there is the honk that lets you know I am angry. Because there's 10 of us behind you. And two are going to go ahead and go through this light after it's turned red because you sat there so long. And then they're going to make the people going across angry. And five other cars, they're going to be stuck at another red light when they could have made it through the green light because you didn't go. And we all know that when the horn honked and your head jerked up, we know what you were doing. You were checking your Twitter feed, or you were going through your email as if there's 20 seconds, what am I going to do with my life? Or you're watching some random 35-year-old man dancing on TikTok to a song that he has no business dancing to. And we're angry. And almost every time I go to the grocery store, and it feels like I have to go to the grocery store all the time. I will get back to my car or I will get home and it will hit me. Oh no, I forgot to get that thing I needed. And when I remember everything I needed, then they don't have it on the shelves. There's always something missing. And even if everything goes well, then when I get to the checkout, there's not enough checkout lines open. Everyone is checking out right now. And there's not enough places to check out. And so I I go to the self-checkout, but two of those are closed. And one of those is open, but it's cash only. And I haven't carried cash for like seven years now. And I certainly don't have enough to get my groceries. And so we're lining up not only across the middle aisle, but back through the drink aisle. We're going back 40 feet. And the person behind me, Forget six feet social distancing. I would just take six inches right now from your cloud of contamination that you are breathing over me. And I am angry. And I'm a little embarrassed to admit this right now. I'm I'm ashamed to admit this right now. But two weeks later, I am still angry that my Cowboys flamed out of the playoffs. I had a text message with my youngest brother-in-law who's in his early 20s, and I told him, I promise you, there was a time before you were born when every season didn't end in frustration. And to make matters worse, I go to church 
with a lot of people, I am friends with a lot of people who are Kansas City Chiefs fans in here. And the Chiefs have been crushing it for four years now. And I know the mature Christian thing to do is to be happy for you. And I'm looking at all you Chiefs fans. And so hear me say, I am so happy for you and your Chiefs that you keep crushing it every year and you're still in the playoffs. That that's the mature thing to say. Do I sound mature while I'm saying this? Because I don't feel mature. I feel angry. And now the thing that you've all been waiting for. For the next 15 minutes, I'm going to go off on a diatribe about all the politics and politicians that make me angry. Are you ready for this? There's like one person who's like, yeah, bring it on. And the rest of you are like, no, please don't. Please don't. Because one, you're thinking, I'm not sure that church and politics are the best combination anyway. And then if you're thinking, well, what if you're not angry about the things I'm angry about? Because we like to gather around with some other people that are angry. It's like, you're angry, I'm angry. And then you start to talk and you're like, whoa, our anger is not aligning here. It is here and it, and it is here, but it's, it's not over here and it's not over here and and suddenly this anger, instead of, cancel, instead of, you know, sort of canceling one another out, what happens with all of this anger? It, it just starts to, to fuel the fire, right? It is like oxygen to the embers. It, it keeps the flames going and it hypes them up, which is why Proverbs 15, 18 warns, you know what, a hot-tempered, person, usually they just stir up dissension. A patient man calms a quarrel. There are times, there are situations, there are issues for which it is appropriate to be angry, but when we look around at our nation, we realize there is a whole lot of anger, but we're not all agreeing. And so then there is the challenge, not only is, is my anger appropriate, but is it proportional to what's going on? And is my anger accurate or is it misplaced? Am I angry about this, but I'm taking it out about that? Do I handle my anger appropriately? Am I hypocritical with my anger? I'm anger about the, angry about this, and probably that means I should be angry about that, but I don't really care about that. I only care about this. Does our anger cause more harm than it helps? There is evidence everywhere that we're not so good with our anger so this last year 2021 the FAA reported a 494% increase in investigations of unruly passengers on flights 494% some of you are old enough to remember when the motto the tagline for United Airlines was Come fly the friendly skies. I wonder why they lost that one. I wonder what would happen if they tried to bring that back. Would everyone just sort of laugh them out of the room? Because 
We're angry. Flights are getting delayed all over the place, and delayed is the good one. A lot are getting canceled. And if you actually get on a flight, then a lot of people are angry by the time they get in there because there are mask mandates on the flights, and some people don't want the mask mandates, and then the other people are angry at those who aren't following the mask mandates. And so there's fights that are breaking out, and then go ahead and just lock a hundred people in a small metal tube and make sure you don't give them enough leg room and enough armrest for everyone in the plane. Then pressurize that whole thing, take it up to 30,000 feet, and start passing out alcohol, and let's just sit back and see where things go. It is a tinderbox in the sky. And we are angry. And it's no wonder when human anger is discussed in Scripture, it often comes with a warning about the downsides and the dangers. Because we see the downsides. We live the downsides. James 1.20, anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires, which is why in the verse before that, James says, hey, you know you ought to be slow to anger. You're like, that sounds familiar to me. We'll we'll come back to that. Or Paul says in Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. And a few verses later, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Paul just pulls out the thesaurus, and he's like, I'm going to throw them all out there, in case you're like, yeah, but what about bitterness? Nope, not a good one. Brawling, is that one good? Nope. We're going to cover all of them. So we come back to this perception that a lot of people grew up with and historically loomed large in our understanding of God, that God is an angry God. It's it's an image of God that is capricious. God is cruel. God's unpredictable, can fly off the handle at any moment. God is like the Hulk. Rage is always living under the surface. He's always angry, just ready to go full rage monster on rebellious creation. And that is, after all, the message of one of the most famous sermons ever preached in American history. Jonathan Edwards, we are sinners in the hands of an angry God. Like a spider dangling above the flames, he says. And that's a big part of how the ancients viewed the gods and the goddesses. They were not only uncontrollable, but they're unpredictable. They are dangerous and distant. If the crops aren't growing, the gods must be angry. If the rains aren't falling, the gods must be angry. If pregnancy isn't happening, the gods must be angry. And so we come to Exodus 34 at a time when Israel was rebellious and turned their back on God almost immediately after entering into covenant relationship with God. 
and committing more than once to this covenant relationship with God. And God is angry. And so what does God say? Yeah, I'm going to show you my true character right now. I'm compassionate, deeply moved. And when God is moved, God moves to save. And gracious, a God that finds favor in the unfavorable people and unfavorable times of our lives. A God of steadfast love, a God of faithfulness that can be depended on again and again, and again. And in the middle is this discussion of anger. But it's not just anger, is it? It's a God that is slow to become angry. Literally, in Hebrew, it says that God has a long nose or long nostrils. Which is this delightful Hebrew idiom for anger. Picture nostrils flaring and cartoon steam coming out. That's how the Hebrews would describe when someone is angry, that they have a long nose or, or that they, the, their anger, their, their nose has heated up. You kind of see it. Like when someone is embarrassed, you see the red cheeks. And they talked about anger being visible in the nose. And yet here we see that God has a long nose, which is why when the King James version was originally translated the translators wrote long suffering they made up this one really long word because they grab onto this notion of long it takes a long time for the nose of God to get hot it takes a long time for God to get angry but what does it mean that God gets angry because that's still a little scary, and we know all the downsides. We see all the dangers in our own lives, in our own world. We see the destruction that can come from anger, especially anger that is disproportionate, that is out of control, that is misplaced. But I'd like to rephrase the sign that I saw several times over the last couple of years to say, if God doesn't get angry sometimes, then God isn't paying attention. N.T. Wright, New Testament scholar, says the great evils of the 20th century, and we could add the 21st, have reminded us that unless God remains implacably opposed to the evil that distorts and defaces creation, not least humanity, and God is not good. We don't want, nor do we have a God that is a maniacal rage monster ready to go off on his creation at any moment, but neither do we want a God that is indifferent, an uncaring absentee landlord. A just God is justifiably angry at all the ways that greed and lust for power has led 
to wars of all kinds and mass destruction and displacement of whole people and death. A just God is justifiably angry at all the ways that hate has led to genocide and mass murders. A just God is justifiably angry at all the times that children have been abused and and spouses have been abused and people in vulnerable positions have been abused. A just God is justifiably angry at the ways that racial and ethnic and gender prejudice lead to historical subjugation and segregation and inequality and injustice. A just God is justifiably angry at systems that lead, leave hundreds of millions, even in our world today, in poverty and hunger and poor health when we live in a time when we could do something about it, a just God is justifiably angry when we live in ways that we harm ourselves instead of help ourselves live into our full and fulfilling lives that God designed us for. If God is compassionate and gracious, a God of steadfast love and faithfulness, that God will get angry sometimes at all of the things that hurt God's beloved creation. But to acknowledge that God gets angry at idolatry and injustice is not the same as saying that God is an angry God. Those are not the same things. And even considering all of that, we still remember that God is what? God is slow to become angry. It takes a long time for God's nose to heat up. So what does that tell us? God is not constantly flying off the handle. God doesn't have an itchy trigger finger. We've never been sinners in the hands of an angry God. We have always been sinners in the hands of a slow to become angry God. Because God is compassionate and gracious, steadfast in love and faithfulness. Which is what Paul tells those in Romans 2 who are very eager to judge everyone that falls short. The people who like to look down their nose, he says, hey, you remember, you're doing the same things. You're guilty of the same things. And besides, he asks in verse 4, why would you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. God is taking His time. God is showing patience. It takes a long time for God to get angry because God's goal has never been retribution. God's goal has always been redemption. 
It has always been reconciliation. God's goal has always been repentance. Or as Peter says in 2 Peter 3, 9, God is patient with you because God is not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And that's what we see throughout the prophets, and that's what Paul actually talks about in Romans 1. When punishment finally comes, it is in the words of Paul in Romans 1, it's a giving people over to their choices, their desires, natural consequences that follow. But the hope is always that like the prodigal son, people will come to their senses and return to enjoy full restoration. And I read a beautiful story that illustrates that a couple of years ago. So you'll see on this picture two people. One is Sergeant Joseph Cerna, and the other is Judge Lou Alavera. And Cerna was standing in front of the judge on multiple occasions. Cerna was a former Special Forces soldier, did four combat tours in Afghanistan, almost died three times while he served. And the last time, the vehicle he was in overturned in water, and someone who was riding with him saved him, got him to an air pocket, and died in the process. Cerna was the only one in that group that survived. And when Cerna came home, he was given multiple purple hearts and other uh, ways he was recognized. But he came home and it wasn't the same. He had tremendous survivor's guilt. Suffered from PTSD and developed a serious alcohol addiction. So eventually, he got pulled over on a DUI. And so he entered into a program with the army to try to help him with that, which is why more than 25 times he had to go before the judge, always checking on his progress. And the last time he went before the judge, he had to admit, he had to acknowledge that he had lied about a recent urine test. And so the judge said, I don't want to do this, but you're going to have to go spend the night in jail. Something has to wake you up. There are consequences to your choices. But that wasn't the end of the story. The judge said, I'm going to drive you there to a jail that was in another county over, and so he drove him there. But that wasn't the end of the story. Cerna was into his cell, and it was a one-cot cell, and the door closed behind him. But several minutes later, the door opened back up, and the judge walked in. And then the door closed behind him again, and he heard it lock. And Cerna was confused. He was puzzled and he said judge are you in here the entire time and the judge said yeah I'm staying with you through the night see the judge Oliveira was a veteran himself 
He knew what Cerna was going through, and he was afraid that if he spent that night in jail, this thing that was supposed to wake him up, it might instead send him back to a bad place. The PTSD kicks in, and so the judge spent the night with Cerna during that night in jail, and Cerna later said that when he realized the judge was staying there the whole time, he said the walls didn't exist anymore. And for the first time, he felt like he was back in North Carolina instead of being stuck in Afghanistan. He was given chance after chance after chance, but even when he finally had to face the consequences, the judge said, you do not face these alone. And facing the consequences is designed to bring you into a different place, a better place to help you turn the corner because the goal was always redemption. Church, during what has been a difficult stretch, and right when we thought some of the difficulties were over, then another variant popped up. And when it's not Omicron, there's still lots of Greek letters. And then we're going to move to other alphabets all together. I don't know. Here's what I do know. God is not a God that abandons us. We do not worship an angry God. We worship a slow to become angry God. And to journey with us, Jesus came and took on flesh. He walked with us. And He took on the consequences of the world's sin. And He carried them to the cross. And He said, I am with you to the end of the age. And He made sure that the wages of death that were ours were conquered when He rose from the grave. That is not an angry God. That is a slow to become angry God. Compassionate and gracious. Full of steadfast love and faithfulness. We absolutely worship a God that cares about injustice and will make all things right. All things new in the end. But God is also a patient God because God's desire is to invite everyone into that newness, into that new creation, never turning his back, but always turning our lives into the lives we were created for in the first place.